Can you hear me? Not at all, yes. All right, cool. I'm very good. Look at that way you wear that hat. Mm. What, what's that doing for you? Keep my head warm. <laughs> Barely on there. Mm. Keep you, my hair down. You look like you should be recording like an indie album or something. <laughs> Maybe I am. I got my guitar right here. Can we Don't. play some tunes? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> got a song here called um, E Minor. <laughs> Coming out of my forthcoming, forthcoming album. Is uh, it called Chords? It's called yeah. It's called Slow Chords. Um, yeah, Slow Chords. Slow Chords with Sab. Mm-hmm. I like that. That'd be a good like Sunday waking up. Actually, that's kind of a great idea. <laughs> I'm gonna make a Slow Chords album. It's just gonna be like six or seven different songs, which are just the combinations of the like eight chords that I know in different orders. That's I mean, good. It, isn't that just what songs are? It, it is, yeah, pretty much. I think you got it. Oh, all right, well. <laughs> you figured out songwriting. I did, I guess. <clears throat> I really, and, you know, it's really more about the look anyway. Yeah. And, well, you know, again, because this is an audio medium and people can't see what I look like, can you just give them a, a quick, you know, um, audio tour of my look right now? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, we'll start at the top where I commented on your hat, which is a black beanie, mm-hmm. which is mostly resting on, I would say, the top third of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in no way covering your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of extra extra hat space way up at the top that's kind of um, just standing up real tall, you know, a lot of air in there. Mm-hmm. And then you have your big, big black headphones mm-hmm. um, that are obviously keeping your ears warm since that's why you don't need a hat. And then to that, you've got your tortoise shell glasses, Warby Parker. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true. They are. Okay. Sponsored. And a, kind of a gross little mustache. Hmm. hmm. I don't and know that, if that's the adjective I'd use, but okay. And then I'm guessing a, like, it's past five o'clock shadow, but stubble. I'm guessing you shaved maybe 2 a.m. this morning. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then looks like you're rocking a, I don't know if that a robe. It is indeed a robe. I thought it was a plaid button-up shirt. Nice I was, was going to be kind of impressed with how much you got dressed for this morning uh, recording mm-hmm. um, with a white V-neck underneath with just a touch of chest hair coming yep. up top and an Apple watch as well. Yeah. Still so, still with the uh, the athletic band on from mm-hmm. my run yesterday. Oh, I thought it was aspirational. <laughs> it's also that. Also, a cup of Joe. A cup of Joe. Is, there, is that just a white mug? Nothing on it? Nothing on it. Wow. All right, I'm turning my video off. Okay, that's everyone. We've seen what we need to see. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, what well, about you? What do you look like this morning? What are you wearing, Max? I'm wearing um, some jogger sweatpants um, from Lulu Lemon, mm. and a band T-shirt, and band. some uh, the, the Lone Bellow. Mm. We haven't talked much about music, but probably my favorite band. And then the Lone uh, Bellow makes me think of a sad sheep. Okay. <laughs> That'd be more like the lone, at, lone out bleat. In the, standing out in the field and just bellowing. Isn't that, isn't that bleeding? Isn't that what, kind of like, what a sheep I like, does? I feel like the word bellow is not animal specific. Okay. Um, and then I have some big headphones that Haley got me for Christmas a couple years ago on. My Warby Parker some glass, or glasses. And then I'm drinking out of a McElroy Brothers official bean juice mug. Nice. 
Yep. So, and I've, I'm hoping that my sister, <coughs> see people, oh, nice cough button. People won't know Wait, that did we, you, um, did you, could you hear my cough? Yeah. Really? One thousand percent. Wait a second. I, I hard, I hard muted my mic. Am I not, am I recording through a different mic? Hold on. Oh, that should have worked. Well, you still have sounded okay. Even if you switch mics partway through, it'll just sound better. Huh. huh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, everybody. Huh. Hold on. Well, let's, let's go digging around. Oh, good. We'll just edit that. We'll edit all this out. Oh, this the beginning was all right. Device. What is that? No. <laughs> all right. Well, how do I sound now? Oh, you sound a lot better. You were a little loud earlier, which I wasn't sure if it was, I accidentally messed with my microphone or something in my volume, but no, you sound, uh, sound good. How long? I, hmm. I'm concerned that every episode of this podcast has not <laughs> been recorded through my actual mic. No, no, no. It has. There's, there's no way. Are you? I don't know. I've never gone in and changed that setting before. I don't know. Somehow maybe a default got switched. You, you sound good right now, but I feel like you normally sound pretty good. Huh. Yeah. All right. Anyway. We're back. Weird. <laughs> um, so I was going to say, people don't know this because we never put it out. But, well, first off, they know it's been a long time since we recorded. Yeah, um, like and three weeks probably? Yeah. For that, I blame. I've got an excuse for every weekend. Uh, one okay. weekend I was I was doing a barn raising. We'll talk about that later. Pavilion raising. That sounds like um, a joke. No, you just tried to come up with the, the the farmiest excuse, and that's what you came up with. That baling hay, yeah. and uh, did I ever tell then, my baling hay story on here? We should save that for some time. We almost died. Yeah, I think maybe we've talked about that before. Oh, I feel okay. like you brought it up. All I don't right. know. You don't have, you don't have many farm overlap stories. No, <laughs> no, we may have, we probably already exhausted that one. Yeah. We All right. So like one content. weekend we couldn't do it because you were uh, raising a barn. Yep. And then the next weekend, which was I think technically last weekend. Um, was uh, I drove to Vermont to pick up a coffee table, uh, which was a very a very long drive, um, three hours each what, way. Who? What is this coffee table special? Um, I mean, it's like a, it's solid uh, teak, kind of matches uh, our aesthetic as we didn't talk about before. But we we were slowly replacing the furniture in our living room with nicer things, um, and so we saw this coffee table and it was fairly cheap and. I like driving, and I had nothing else going on. I had never been up to Vermont anyways, so I just loaded up some podcasts and coffee and drove three hours, <laughs> grabbed this coffee table, turned around, and drove right home. Didn't wow. get out of my car at all because didn't want to be spreading that Massachusetts coronavirus up into the pure green mountains of Vermont. Yeah. So, um, But that was what I was doing last weekend, so we, we missed the recording. And then, no one will know this, but we tried to record Wednesday. We did try. And it was a dumpster fire. Um, my dog did not participate well. Well, um, you, you could even, you could say she participated too much. That, that that's right. She participated more than she normally does. Um, I was a little disheveled as of just walked in the door from work, and uh, it was just really a poor effort all around, mainly on my part. Um, so I here mean, we are. I had no notes and no, I had nothing to talk about. I think in the in our document, <laughs> I wrote, "I am a, a, a what, husk like an empty man. husk of a man." Yeah, yeah. So we seem more prepared today. This can yeah. be a real. Podcast. I mean, we do have. This is a weird time for us to record. Nice and early on a Sunday, and uh, but like I'm. It. But I've been up for a couple hours. A couple hours. second cup of coffee. I got up at six. Uh, okay, so did I. My dog woke me up at six as well. I guess. Yeah. But cup of, cup of Joe. I'm ready to go, man. Well, we can talk now. All right, let's check in round. Let's do a check in round. Mm-hmm. What did you? What do you collect, or did you used to collect? I feel like. Yeah, I saw you posted this about. Right before we actually got on, I was trying to think very hard. I'm glad you added the parentheses of used to collect because yeah. right now, currently, 
I don't know if it's because of the apartment size or what. I don't collect many things currently. Um, I'm very interested in, you know, clothing and um, books and things that I have most of my possessions are in, but I wouldn't really call it collecting. I don't like set out to look for them Mm -hmm. um, if I'm somewhere or search the internet for like, you know, specific things. But growing up, I collected, as we know, teddy bears. How many teddy bears Mm -hmm. I have, Sam? Uh, a lot. My bed was covered. I had mm-hmm. to dig. I dug a nest every night into my mm-hmm. my teddy bear mountain, you might say. Mm-hmm. And um, those teddy bears still exist somewhere in garbage bags, probably now being mostly hung out with by mice. I think that's probably theirs. <laughs> probably. They're they were probably my... living in their own teddy bear mountain. <laughs> it's probably wonderful. Um, and then I collected... These are mostly, I guess, <laughs> childhood things. I don't know if it's called collecting when you're a little kid and someone buys them for you, but um, then I had a ton of Matchbox cars. Oh, Still yeah, you did. Jam and jams. Yeah, I would sit out there. There were definitely, I was telling Haley recently, there's times where I thought, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, maybe there was something wrong with me as a child where I would <laughs> sit there and do a, either a traffic jam. with. And we're talking like 100 Matchbox cars in front of me are, are just thick in the hallway. And I'd move one an inch. And I'd move every other car an inch, and then I'd go back and do it again. And mom had to be so worried about me. I, don't I think mom was just happy ass. that you were keeping yourself entertained. That's true. I guess maybe that offsets any of the possible, like, you know, me being on the spectrum somewhere because your son has spent six hours moving cars down the hallway. Yeah. Um, but I had lots of, lots of Matchbox cars. And then, yeah, those would probably be the big, the big two. And then in a little while, I was collecting rocks. Um, <laughs> You'll remember I dug that big hole in the backyard um, and was just kind of I, – I had a rock hammer that I was gifted. I don't know what, like maybe like my 12th birthday or something. And I would dig up all these rocks and I'd take them up to the house and wash them. And I'd take my rock hammer out and break them in half um, unless, it looked like, unless it looked cool, not broken in half. Uh, <laughs> I would keep it as is. And uh, I collected a, quite a few rocks that way. Did I you, did actually so find did you learn stuff. anything about rocks or did you just like breaking rocks? Um, a little bit of both. I think okay. dad was usually kind of helpful. Like we try to identify like, you know, right. is this a metamorphic or is it, you know, all these like the, the three main categories and then try and find something interesting about it. Um, but I did find a couple fossils in our backyard, not mm-hmm. like animal fossils, but, um, like old, uh, like seafloor, like sponge mm-hmm. and, uh, some other stuff like that, which was pretty cool to find considering I was mm-hmm. not actually expecting to ever find anything that cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are probably the big three. But recently, yeah, not not a lot of collecting going on. Cool. What about you? I mean, I feel like I'm kind of the anti-collector given my mm-hmm. minimalist uh, tendencies. <laughs> kind of your um, thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of not collecting things is where what I'm all about. Uh, but back in the day, I was real big into hockey cards. I Whatever happened little... to those? That's a great question. I think they must have they must all be gone. Like I know I sold some online way back in the day there's probably at home yeah like in a binder or something but i was uh i was pretty big into those can we describe or can you describe what you're like because i know you were very organized with them what was your process for putting them in so you had your binders your your hockey card binders you had many of them binders and i had boxes as well okay boxes were for trying to basically get a whole set um Mm -hmm. so each year each brand kind of had like their set of cards which were a couple hundred cards and the easiest way to store those were in boxes. Um, I'm trying to remember what would, what like what would elevate them to binder status. I think it was like Red Wings. I think I had binders that were just Red Wings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe like other kind of rare ones I would put in, in binders. Um, and yeah. And then also I would, I, when I was real young, I, on our old Mac at home, I made like, I manually created, uh, spreadsheets for keeping track of all the cards that I mm-hmm. owned. And I would like manually put that, that, that data in those spreadsheets. Very nice. Training myself the... for the knowledge work, the I know. knowledge worker that I knew I was destined to become. Yeah, that was, that's impressive. Um, so you said you don't currently collect anything right now, really. If you were going to, in the future, see yourself collecting something, what do you think it would be? Actually, I take, it back. Like... I take it back. There is something that I'm somewhat actively trying to collect, which is uh, art that is broadly work-related. Okay. So, like, industry, like, factories, or, I don't know, like, it, it's a very broad category, but I'm I'm interested in, in art that somehow, like, represents uh, work, or the other thing that I'm doing is collecting um, art that represents the different places I've lived. So, I have something from California, New York, um, don't have a DC one, I don't think uh but it's also one i have a michigan one yeah nice do you have any artwork that is work depicting like do you have something that that started that like what made you actually so to collect that so the the piece of uh art that your friend's dad painted Mm -hmm. is kind of in that category because it's industrial it's like a cityscape yeah um so that's kind of what got me uh, thinking about it. I mean, the other thing that I have is I've created fractures, which are these um, like glass paintings um, that mm-hmm. you can get online of all of the logos of the companies that I've consulted with. Um, they're all on a wall over here. So that's kind of in the, the same category. That's your wall of fame, huh? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, I also I have this, um, this thing of... Uh, cognitive biases like over a hundred of them arranged in this like interesting designed uh way that used to be where my desk where my desk used to be like was like right above that but other than that i don't think i really have anything else it's kind of more of a general intention of i mean i don't spend a lot of money on art and i'm not actively looking for it but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like in the back of my head all the time cool that's i think that must be part of coming an adult uh (laughs) Art is becomes the new thing that you collect because that's kind of how Haley and I are now too. We've been, I mean, we do a lot more thrifting and and like you know antique shopping and stuff. But yeah. we've uh, we've collected. I'm sitting here looking around me. We've collected a fair share of of artwork as well for our apartment. Yeah, and plants. Yeah, oh well, yeah, plants. I guess I could have said that too. I have a lot of plants in my apartment. But um, yeah. How are right. plants doing? Are your plants still good? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're all uh, no deaths. No deaths. They're all doing. They're all doing the thing. All right. H- happy to hear it. Yeah. All right. You checked in. I'm checked in. All right. You got to give us the uh, the high level, relatively quick recap of the last three <laughs> weeks on the farm. Take us. Yeah. Take us on a journey. I know this is kind of hard because I feel like this is what I almost got into on Wednesday before my dog screamed and uh, ruined it all. Um, but yeah, so last three weeks on the farm. Up to, if you've been listening to them in order, you probably remember what we talked about, but it's been a while for me even. Um, but we had just finished putting all the caterpillar tunnels together, new plastic on them. The farm was in tip-top shape. Um, and then the Monday after we recorded, we had 70-mile-per-hour winds at the farm. 
which is unprecedented to begin with. You had very windy weather, I think, as well. I think yeah. it was all across the country. And, Would you and, um, say that uh, wind is bad for farms? I think I've established wind is bad for farms, um, especially bad for farms that I'm on because I don't like it. Um, but um, yeah, so we didn't really know the wind was coming until a couple of days before. We really like it. Kind of just started off as supposed to be a kind of a rainy, crappy day, and then it switched within two days of you know 65 plus mile power winds, and we kind of all just like held our breath and we're like, whoa, that's gonna be all right. Like we'll, we'll see. There's you know this is the farm I've been on that has the most structures. And the most frustrating part um, for everybody involved was that 10 of those structures are the more temporary caterpillar tunnels, which means they're not really built to like, you know, they're not, they're built fine. We do a good job. We put all the wind bracing in. We have the highest level um, you can get of these from this company to withstand wind. Um, but sometimes that's not enough. And so essentially when we left work on Monday, the winds were, were happening, we, <laughs> We're seeing plastic, brand new plastic, start to rip and pull, metal pipes starting to come out of the ground. Um, and as we've established before, there's not much you can do. There's nothing that we could have grabbed to hold down. There's nothing we could have really been helpful for by being there. So you've like cut slits in the plastic. Could have, but what's the point of that? I mean, I guess it would have tried to save the metal. That you know could have happened. Um, does the does it fun- does it not function if there are slits cut into it? Yeah, it's against it's you really don't want to put rips in the plastic because oh. the whole idea is that it's going to trap the heat. Um, and then if you want to to cool it down later in the summer, you roll the sides up on it. So if you when you put in new plastic, like we're really trying to oops, that's my alarm. I'm awake. You really try to um, limit the rips and cuts in the plastic. Um, many reasons, but mainly heat. Um, water will pour in through there, which is kind of you like to. Con- the thing about a structure is you control the moisture underneath, which is nice. Right, right. Um, and then the last one would be, I mean, not that it's that big of a deal, but like it's another opportunity if you have it fully closed for pests or other things to get in. Mm. Um, so yeah, we left thinking, well, this is gonna be bad, but let's just hope it's not too bad. Um, and then Tuesday we showed up, and there's ten structures on the farm or caterpillar tunnels. We've established that five are quonsets, which are like the rounded version. And then five of them are called gothics, which have a little peak. Um, they're a little bit taller. And um, only the gothics were planted at this point. Four of the five were planted. Six of the total ten were just empty. And we showed up, and all five quonsets were absolutely mangled. I mean, plastic was ripped off. Metal pipes sheared in half. Bolts were gone. Things were just, like, terribly, <laughs> terribly disarray. It looked like a tornado had come through. Um so we kind of – and all five Quonsets were ruined and one Gothic tunnel was ruined. The other four Gothics were all pretty much salvageable. Um, one thing I'll say is that, you know, so it's hard to imagine what these tunnels look like if you've never seen one before. But at the ends is where all the excess plastic is. Um, so what you normally do is you pull it down kind of like the end of a, like a Tootsie Roll or something and you, and you twist it together. Mm-hmm. tie it in a knot to like a this metal stake we put there so the ends kind of have this um like garbage bag top look you, you draw that plastic down um the five tunnels that weren't planted the new plastic we took the the ends one thing you usually do is just and has seemed to work in previous years is you actually roll them up and you tuck it above so now it's just a big tunnel and the idea being what used to be <laughs> seemed to work was that the wind would just go through it um it wouldn't hit that that plastic end wall if the plastic was down and force pressure on the metal. Um, it seemed like the wind had always just kind of gone right through. 
Um, this time it seems like the wind was with enough force and maybe angle or who knows what direction it was coming from that them being opened provided lift kind of. Hmm. And that's what lifted some of the end metal bows out and caused them to start bending. Um, so all in all, we ended up spending Tuesday morning kind of walking around as a crew, two of us with screwdrivers just breaking down, kind of reducing it until there weren't any bent and broken pieces. So, you know, by the end of the day, we had five partial tunnels, essentially. Um, we had kind of made a big scrap pile of everything that was just no way going to be usable again. We were impressed by that after doing this process, how much was salvageable. Um, I mean, there's some weirdly slightly bent pieces. It's not perfect anymore, but we managed to keep quite a bit, which was, I think by the end of Tuesday, we felt a lot better about it. Um, and fast forward to this past week, we got the replacement order in, which was, you know, it's in a normal farm. That's not a nonprofit. This, I mean, this set us back in terms of time and labor, but it financially it was fine and, and was a thing that we could handle. Um, it was $5,000 or so to fix it. Um, that was before the, the company gave us a discount because their stuff is got destroyed and they told us it would be the highest wind. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really not totally their fault. I mean, 70 mile per hour winds is not really what you build something for. But it was nice of them to kind of give us a discount. We got all the stuff in this past week. And in one day, on Thursday, we um, fixed all six broken ones, put up all the new metal pieces, and reskinned all of them with plastic. So... Um, it was a, a hell of a day, but we're back to, to square one with the tunnels. Um, we're hoping that no wind like that comes again. We'll, we'll think of a better plan for next time it does. Cause now that we know, um, what it can do, but so that was just kind of a bummer because we went from brand new stuff, brand new plastic. When we last recorded high wind, destroy everything, two weeks of them just laying there like skeletons. And then <laughs> this past week, um, we finally got to, to restore them to what they should look like, which is good timing because those next five tunnels get planted in the next week or so. Gotcha. So, what can you do if you know the wind is coming? So, I mean, the quickest thing would have been we learned based on just this one experiment that all the tunnels that were closed with the plastic brought down and tied to a stake seem to withstand the wind better. Hmm. Um, now, that might not be the best um, data to use. These The way the tunnels are set up, um, the ones that got super destroyed and mangled took the brunt of the wind and kind of broke some of the wind for the other ones. Mm. Um, so it's hard to say if that actually is what did it. Right. My suggestion was um, a farm I've seen do this before for snow load in the winter. You know, instead of taking in the fall, usually you take the plastic entirely off a caterpillar tunnel. Um, not the hardest thing to do, but you remove the ropes that hold it down that give it its caterpillar shape and you take the plastic off, fold it up. Winter, it's just empty as a skeleton. Well, one thing you can do that I've seen a farm do is you cinch all the plastic. You take it from the bottom and bring it all the way up to the top bar in the middle. And so what you end up having is a, a long metal structure and then at the top like a long tube of plastic that's mm-hmm. twined just tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could do that in a day, you should be able to, you know, if you knew wind was coming, run out there, undo the wiggle wire and in teams of like four, bring that plastic to the top and tie it with rope. And ideally, I th- feel like at that point – um, it's such a narrow tube of plastic that it wouldn't provide much lift to ripping right. apart the metal. So I think if we saw that coming, that's what I would recommend doing if we saw winds of that level mm-hmm. again and see if it does anything. Because um, then ideally the next day after the wind is over, you come down, you untie the twine, the plastic falls back to where it should be. 
right. and you re and you retighten it down with this this wiggle wire stuff that you use for tunnels. And so I think that's what I would try and do if it was my own farm, if I had the people and the time to to make that decision. But right. we didn't. So we we you know we took it on the chin. We had yeah we you know it was it helped that we had done it before in terms of putting the plastic on and, and building the structures. So we I feel like you know most people wouldn't be able to knock out fixing all six of those in a day. But because we had done it before, <laughs> it prepared us to do it again. So. Cool. We're we're all back to normal for that. Um, other than that, during this entire time, it's not the only thing we've been doing. We've been um, this is the the crazy time of year for planting. We've had a terrible spring as well, weather wise. It's been cold and rainy. Um, we had snow in mid April that you know not didn't stay very long, but lots of lows in the the high twenties, low thirties, and we have a lot of stuff in our field. So there's been a lot of um, yeah. Is that know, like killed purpose. stuff or? Not much. It has definitely hindered the growth on some stuff. Stuff's been a little slow, but we spent a lot of time. Um, I always talk about how we put this reme fabric over right. our plants that are on, you know, it's on the hoops and then over the plants, so it kind of holds it off. That has held the cold off of the plants, um, and everything seems to still be fairly alive. It definitely has slowed the growth of some stuff. Um, the only thing the cold killed was we made a mistake, and we... It's hard to not hard to explain, but there's we do a thing called hardening off. So if you start a plant in the greenhouse, and then you know you want to plant it out in the field in two weeks, well, it should spend one week on a table outside the greenhouse where during the day that table is exposed to the the temperature and the elements, and then at night you cover it almost like a mini tunnel with plastic. The idea is you can't shock the plant from 70 degree perfect growing conditions to potentially 30 degree lows at night right um it just won't be ready so we've been hardening stuff off it's just kind of the normal process we do and we were hardening off our summer squash there we're going to go into one of the tunnels um they're a very frost sensitive plant um we figured that maybe under the hardening off table it would have been warm enough still um but it was not and they withered and died one night in the cold mm. um so that probably set us back two weeks on that harvest two or three little, weeks you have a little squash funeral we didn't. We threw them in the compost and 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 went and seeded. Um, instead of putting transplants into the the caterpillar tunnel, you know, nice perfect plants, we planted uh, seeds instead. So it'll be a little bit delayed, a little bit behind, but that's not the end of the world. Um, so that's the only thing that cold has killed. But um, other than that, we planted. I mean, like rapid fire. What's in the ground right now is is a, a ton of stuff. But we've got like you know our our whole onion crop, which is twenty four thousand onions. Um, Fun fact about that's those. too many onions. <laughs> well, it's not too many when you're giving them to uh, food pantries. Now. Okay, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, fun fact for those: there's a video on my Instagram of it. But we used that paper pot transplanter that I've described before. Yeah. Um, incredible. I mean, we planted those twenty-four thousand onions. Um, two people, four hours. Um, all those onions were in, covered with covered with that reme, you know, irrigation setup. Um. Which was pretty remarkable. Definitely the quickest farm, you know, the quickest planting of onions. Usually that is a as a day you dread. Right. Um, didn't have to dread it because of the paper pot, which was really cool. Um, other than that, our potatoes are in kale, chard, bok choy, uh, hakari turnips, radishes, a lot of salad greens, um, cabbage, broccoli. Uh, I said that carrots, beets, napa cabbage, fennel. The, the bulk of everything that's in the kohlrabi in the ground. Um, and kohlrabi. Then, yeah. And coming up, we have, we're starting to um, flip the the hoop houses, the permanent structures. 
the not caterpillar tunnels. They were in salad greens. Um, last week we did a last harvest out of one of them and prepared it for tomatoes. Um, and our hoop house tomatoes will go in this week coming up. Um, so definitely starts to feel like summer when you start doing things like that. Nice. And this weather change is, is helping as well. So, so how degrees here today? Nice. So how, um, how are you feeling? How's your body feeling? I know you were having some rough times when you're getting back into it. Do you feel uh, reacclimated? Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel, well, just in general, I feel much better at the end of a day, like on my body, but also pre post quarantine and not working and stuff. It just feels good to, to be farming again. But, um, body wise, pretty much fine. The only things that have, that made me sore were really just like a lot of the weird, um, mechanical and, and building work that we've been doing. Um, rebuilding these caterpillar tunnels has been a lot of like, um, up on ladders, like holding metal bars on your shoulder while trying to screw stuff in. And so like my wrists and my, my shoulder, my neck are sore, but those aren't really necessarily correlating to the normal farm work that I do. Right, that's but, construction um, work. That's construction work, which I'm glad I'm learning because I think it's you know, it's really helpful. Um, but no, I'm actually feeling like good, good. now, which is good because I'm about a month in. So, um, and also because you're like what 15 years old, 23, but I definitely foresee some continuing the family tradition of knee problems and who knows maybe hip problems in the future mm-hmm. for me. So can't wait for that. Nice, but um, but no, much better. And the other thing I didn't say is we added two more people to the crew, so we're a crew of seven now. I think. Cool. Um, do they also nice. have experience? Um, less. So one farmed at this farm last year. So this is his second year. Um, and the other girl has farmed before, but she was on a livestock farm. So this is only her like first year of like pure vegetables. So, um, mm-hmm. I guess bringing, bringing down the average, but people who are not new to farming and, um, I mean, from what I've seen from the first two weeks of them being there, like have, have no problem whatsoever. Do you think, do you think maybe work. they, do you think maybe they brought her in to manage the rest of you? Oh, you think we're the livestock? You're the livestock. <laughs> that could be it. I um, think so. So it's been amazing to watch seven experienced farmers, though, managing this this three acre farm and like just, you know, we have crushing it. I, I mean, yeah, like humbly saying we've been doing an amazing job for putting up with, you know, um, some of the things that we've had happen. But everything we moved the moving uh, hoop house again to. Um, there's a fun video on Gaining Ground's uh, Instagram account of us pushing and moving that guy um, to his next spot, which is going to have tomatoes in it as well. Do you um, run that account or no? I don't. There's actually a board member who she's she's there like every day talking okay. to us, taking pictures. She's cool. She uh, a big like I was gonna say she's a big fan of the farm, but her name is Fan. Uh, <laughs> also, but Fan's a fan of the farm. All right, and uh, yeah, so. Um, other than that, nothing. Oh, I what didn't mention the, the pavilion. What about the pavilion raising? Um, basically, quick version of this is the the barn on the property they built a couple years ago. It's um, from a construction guy in Connecticut that they know who does the old fashioned style of it's a mortar and oh, what's it called? It's basically where there's no hardware holding it together. You know, when you build it, the the beams overlap perfectly and notch. And the the dowels that go through the pins that hold it are wood. Um, I mean, you build the whole thing on the ground, and then like an actual traditional barn raising, you lift it up, um, and then they come in and kind of finish everything. It's amazing this work this guy does. So, anyways, the barn was built that way a couple years ago. They have a pavilion on the property where, when they have volunteer groups, that's kind of where they eat lunch, where they start every morning. Um, a heavily used space in a non-quarantine year, and so they decided they wanted to rebuild it, and so they. 
I guess the plans have been in the works for a long time, but the same guy came and built this pavilion. Um, it was supposed to be a big mortise and tenon. That's it. Thank you. Mortise and tenon. (laughs) I I wanted to say something like that, but I didn't want to be entirely wrong. I don't know if I'm saying Um, those right. I've only ever read those words, but, um, so anyways, they brought him in. It was supposed to be like a, a barn raising again with like, you know, more like 30 to 50 people, but we lowered the numbers and they used actually like a crane to kind of lift all the walls. Um, and then we came in and helped them do all the finishing work, putting the roof on, um, things like that. Um, so that ended up being kind of an, an all day affair, but now we have a, a matching pavilion to the, the barn that's on the property, which is also really just cool to see, um, that style of building in person. Yeah. I've shared some pictures. It was pretty cool. I've never seen things. I mean, supposedly he cuts things within one thirty second of an inch of what they need to be. And, uh, they basically fit together just, I mean, like a puzzle just perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and some super intricate cuts and he uses all hand tools supposedly to do his cuts back in his, uh, his workshop in Connecticut. So it was cool. It was a cool experience. Um, but yeah, I think that's the three weeks on the farm pretty nice. much getting cool. rained on a lot. Yeah. Been a little rainy here too. Supposed to rain today. Oh, really? Oops. I'm excited for some summer thunderstorms to come rolling through. Yeah. I'd, I'd be fine with it if it was thunderstorms, but we've been getting like 48 degrees and rainy <laughs> and that's just about the worst thing you could possibly get. Yeah. That sounds uh, unpleasant. But, um, what about you? So I can't, bl- I, should we hard. take a quick ad break? Or do you have an ad to read? Yeah, oh, well, no, I figured you know you probably had something around you that you wanted to do quick, quick. Read. I have almost nothing branded around me other well, than an Apple fine. laptop, which is I'm not going to give them that. No. And this, this. Um, oh no, no, I'll tell. I will do. So you got me yes please coffee for yeah. Christmas. I'm drinking yes please too. Are you are you still Are doing you? that? Well, I just I was going to do this my ad read man. Okay. I, uh, I discovered that I was one sick of going to the store to buy coffee, and the coffee we were buying wasn't the best. Um, and so I was like, oh, I should check into Yes Please again. So as of last week, I am now doing the every two-week shipment of Yes Please co- Coffee, drinking it right now out of my nice. juice mug. Um, incredibly good. I mean, it was good yeah. when you got it for Christmas, but um, I forgot how good, good coffee beans yeah. are. <laughs> I am also drinking Yes Please Coffee, which is – I'll put a link down in the uh, in the show notes. It's worth, it's worth checking out. I've yeah, got it pretty good. dialed in. I drink two cups of coffee a day, and the the subscription that level that I'm on, I basically run out of coffee the day the new one arrives. It's nice. How many grams do you make every every morning? I don't. I do one AeroPress scoop basically, so I don't. I'm oh, not okay. actually sure. I don't. I've stopped measuring that. But gotcha. Um, yeah, it's hard to to dial ours in because Haley and I are both coffee drinkers, which means we fly through coffee. Yeah. But um, it's it's very very good. All right. Cool. Are we drink? Does that mean we're drinking the same batch of coffee? Probably, yeah. Well, All right. We're like, it's like we're looking. We're looking at the same moon and drinking <laughs> the same coffee. Mm-hmm. It's very romantic. Except the moon's. I don't see the moon currently, but yeah, me neither. But <laughs> I meant, you know, in theory. Yeah. Um. Well, it's hard for me to imagine this. That it's already the end of uh, April, which means we're done with it's Sam's the, month it, of. It's right. the beginning of May, even. I some would say that some might even say that it's what May May third. Third. Oh man, um, this is almost my one year anniversary of moving to Massachusetts. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, three days from now. Oh, actually, no. I take that back. I started May sixth as work. I think we moved out here this day. Is today? Um, oh, happy anniversary! Thank you very much. Happy Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> Have you turned into a masshole? No, I don't think so. I think I'm keeping you're, the Midwest. You're too far now. away. For, you're too far away from Boston. Yeah, the Midwest nice is still very is very thick in me. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I'll be losing that. But anyways, 
um, we've come to the end of your month of write. Um, and we need to hear how you managed your first time around of month of write, which was, I can't remember what, maybe February or something like that. Uh, but yes. Was not to up to your, your, was no uh, good. No, no bueno. <laughs> so you, you were coming at it a second time quicker yeah. than you were going to before. That's right. More of a plan. And we need to hear about how that plan went. Okay. So the plan was get up at six every day and don't look at my phone and try to make coffee and get to sitting at my desk as quickly as possible and then write basically from 6.15 to like 7.30 every day. The first week, I crushed it. I wrote so many words. I was so <laughs> dialed into that routine. It was incredible. I was just, I was like a real writing boy. Uh, second week was okay. I was doing it all right. Um, some days, you know, I was, I was sitting down and writing every day. The words didn't necessarily flow every day, but it was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, third week, it was, um, it started to tail off a little bit. I still was getting up on time, but I was having, a, I was getting tempted by reading in the morning and like just getting cozy with a cup of coffee and reading instead of sitting at my desk and doing the harder thing, which is writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I got a little bit lazy with not with the, with the whole not looking at my phone rule. And sometimes if I did that while I was making coffee, it would take me until like six thirty to like have finished making coffee and be sitting <laughs> down. And my my writing output definitely tailed off. And then the fourth week was just a travesty. Um, got almost no writing done. And really, I mean, part of it was the stuff that I just said, but also it has been really busy at work and i had a bunch of things like important meetings that were in the morning um and just a lot of stuff happening where i felt like i had to use that time to prepare for work stuff so i did Mm -hmm. a really good like i got up at six like basically every day last month which was like part of the intention i just i just started to trail off on the actual writing part of it um what i did do though was develop kind of this process that I really like and I think I'm going to use moving forward. And basically, so that the app that I write in is called Ulysses. It's not really important. Just the thing to know is that when you have, so you have the, the, the main window that you do the writing in and then the left sidebar you essentially have folders and like files within those folders. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would start a new file for each day. And the idea was that I would do all my writing in that one file. So today, Sunday, I would have a file that says, you know, Sunday, May 3rd, and I would do all my writing in there. And if and if some of the writing was like journaling, I would then copy and paste that into its final resting place, which is day one at the end of the writing session. Or if I was writing uh, a copy of my newsletter, you know, I would then copy and paste it into MailChimp and do what I need there. If I was writing an article, I would copy and paste it into Squarespace. But the idea is that... I was essentially creating one master log of all of the different types of writing that I that I did. And each day I would start a new note, a new file to capture that day's writing. Question. So you yeah. weren't you weren't cut and pasting, you were leaving the, the yeah, document leaving still in it, its original leaving, form, right? Leaving basically a history of everything yeah. that I that I wrote. And so you know, on mm-hmm. a given day, it may be the first third of the stuff that I wrote was really just like a big journal entry, and then I would write half of an article. 
So Obviously. on that day, I could go back on like that day and be like, okay, I can see that's what I did. And if it if it was half an article that you know wasn't finished yet, what I would do is copy and paste that into a new file that was for that article. And then if mm-hmm. I picked up that article on the, on the following day, I would again just do the initial writing in that day's file, and then at the end, copy and paste it over into the the articles file. So what that did that I, I don't even know why I ended up doing it this way. I think I wanted to just see. I wanted to see like visual proof of how much I was writing and kind of seeing the chain day to day of the stuff that I wrote that, that kind of just made it more visible. And it was mm-hmm. also easier to Ulysses makes it really easy to just grab a bunch. They call them sheets. So grab a bunch of sheets and then see um, just like right click and see the stats on those. And you can see how many words you wrote. So it made it really easy for me to see. Yeah, uh, how much I, I had been writing. So that process. Oh, and then the last part of that process, there's this idea that I think people credit to to Hemingway, although I'm sure writers have been doing this forever. His whole thing was that you should end your writing session with plenty of juice left in, in the tank so that you can pick it up easier uh, on, the, on the next time you sit down to, to write. Mm-hmm. I think he called it parking on the downhill. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe I just made that up. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's what he called it. So I tried to do that each day by um, either stopping kind of like in the middle of a sentence or in the last couple minutes of the writing session, making a note to myself that says, all right, here's the things that you could do tomorrow. You know, there's finish this or here's three or four ideas that you're bouncing around in your head just to make it as easy as possible to get started kickstart the next day yeah so then i would what i would do and it was basically like a little mini outline that was i don't know maybe 100 words that i would update you know i would remove if i did something from that list on today's writing session i would remove that from the list and if i had any other thoughts about oh i should write about this i would add it to that little note and then i would cut that note out of today's session and put it in tomorrow's so mm-hmm. and I would already have tomorrow's um, note m- or file made and ready to go. So when I sat down to, to write, I would open up the note and I wouldn't see nothing. I would see my thoughts about what I could write. And I think that really helped me get moving each day because mm-hmm. my it takes a while for my brain to start firing in the morning and I need as much help uh, as as I can get. So the combination of seeing my good ideas about what I could write about, what I'm excited to write about, first thing, helped. And then the other thing that I would let myself do is just spend the first couple of minutes of writing just straight up stream of consciousness. And yeah. it's funny how many, if I go back and read from uh, my, my entries in April, how, how many days I have like two paragraphs of me being like, wow, I really don't want to write. This really mm-hmm. freaking sucks. I want to go back to bed. My brain is, is dead and just like kind of complaining. And then I would get past it and my brain would be warmed up and I could get into it. Does this, that work uh, flow thing that you established with the notes and stuff, that sounds like, and I haven't read this book in forever, is there like a getting, like a GTD kind of background in that? Because I feel like that was kind of a thing that maybe I'm thinking of something else or essentialism where that idea of that running list and you move it to the next day's task when if you don't get around to it that day, it seems like, I mean, I'm sure that's how you do all your work in general because that's kind of where your basis comes from. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seems like, I mean, but it seems like it definitely comes from that kind of uh, – thinking or structure that he, that he kind of establishes. Yeah, I can't point to anything specific from like GTD or essentialism that, you know, that that comes from, but that those ideas have so fully permeated the way I see the world and think about work that I'm sure that's just 
you know, that's where, where it comes from. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I mean, or maybe some of like the other like writing books that, that I've read, I, I don't know. Um, but that process, even though it wasn't, it's not like I crushed April, like there were, I only wrote 18 of the days I intended to try to write every day. Um, but I feel like I learned, I, well, I, I definitely created more stuff than I did in February. You know, I wrote three articles on my website. I published three issues of my newsletter and I wrote a new welcome email to the newsletter that new subscribers get. Um, so like that's a decent amount of output compared mm-hmm. to what I normally do. And then considering how intense work has been, um, you know, I'm relatively happy with that. The other thing that I'm really happy about is that in addition to all of the stuff that I did end up publishing, I've been working on something that isn't that I haven't published yet. And that's rare for me. Most of the writing that I do is the type of thing where I will do an initial draft in one writing session, you know, whether it's half an hour or an hour and a mm-hmm. half, maybe two writing sessions, I'll get the initial draft done. And then there's one or two writing sessions of just editing and copy and, and proofing that. And then it goes out into the world, which kind of caps the length of, um, of yeah. writing that I can do, you know, in one writing session. So what I've been wanting to do is try to work on something that is bigger than that, that I come back to day after day after day and um, steadily add to. And I feel like for the first time in a long time, I've been doing that a little bit. And I know I've mentioned, you know, maybe this will be Mm -hmm. a book. Maybe I'm not quite sure what it'll be. I did kind of psych myself out, I think, once I started calling it a book. And I didn't really work on it very much in the second half of the month. And I realized that like once I started calling it that, I think it it became intimidating to work on because I think it's still really rough. I don't know if it's going to go where I think it's going to go. I'm still really like working out some of the ideas. Um, So I need to get back to to working on that. But I do have at least probably like 10, probably about 10,000 words uh, for that project that haven't been published yet. And I'm going to, you know, try to keep coming, coming yeah. back to you over time. So do you, do you find yourself summarizing that book um, of Steinbeck's letters that he wrote kind of while he was writing mm-hmm. um, East of Eden? And do you find, I mean, this is what he describes obviously as an author and, and but again, working on a big project. Um, do you find yourself thinking about that big writing piece a lot while you're like going throughout your day? Like, oh my when God. You sit down, yes. Like when you sit down to write, like, are you, um, is that project kind of always floating over your head in terms of like you almost want to write that instead or write on that instead? Um, just because I'm curious because you've said you've never worked on or it's been a long time since you've worked on a project, you know, yeah. that's ongoing and always, you know, there to be worked on. The um, ideas are always floating through my head. So it's actually mm-hmm. been very cathartic to start trying to capture them. And part of part of what has been challenging but good is that what I'm writing about is like a process that I am practicing myself. Mm -hmm. So part of it is that I've needed to get more specific and deliberate about actually experimenting on myself about the stuff that I'm writing about. Um, But there's like a theoretical and kind of philosophical background that I can start writing, even as I'm still figuring out whether or not the process works the way that I think it does. And just actually putting words to paper or words to computer has forced me to get more specific about the things that I think I'm doing or, or thinking about. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically mm-hmm. this has been a 
kind of a formless cloud hanging over my head, not in a bad yeah. way, but just like I what can be really exhausting about though, this too. thing. <laughs> yeah. And and sitting down and actually writing about it has forced me to be like, okay, well, what are the questions that I'm trying to answer here? Or yeah. what is the form of this thing? Can I make a big outline that would maybe be the skeleton of a book? You know, so that just doing that work has really pushed my thinking forward in in all of this. Um, and I have to, so. I feel like if this was me, it would relieve some of the pressure of ever beginning it if you can just like word vomit the the million ideas that they kind of, you know, circulate yeah. around this one central idea and just get them onto paper there's a little bit less intimidating because maybe you can sit down and pick you know this idea that you put on there and just write about it or explore it yeah. you don't have to just sit there looking at this blank sheet like where do i begin with this thing that i've been thinking about for you know five yeah. years essentially yeah. the really um, cathartic thing was um at least one or two sessions where all i did was make an outline basically yeah. no commitment to writing any prose just pull together the logical connections of these various things that I'm thinking about. And then once I have this outline, which is super rough, um, I could at least start taking chunks of it and just doing mm -hmm. some initial brain dumps on, on those. Uh, and that has been, been helpful. And the more that I do the brain dumps on the various sections that then pushes me back to refine the outline. And then as I refine the outline, I have the urge to go back and do more, more writing. Um, so, so far that, that is good. And I want to continue, continue that. And so generally, you know, these, these months, these focus months, I'm not committing to continuing on necessarily. Like they're mm -hmm. meant to be like these one month, like really focused things. I think though, that I'm going to try to continue that routine of up at six, basically writing from 6.15 to 7.30 every morning. I feel like I learned a lot about how to make that go better and a lot of it is around not yeah. letting the urgency of my work overcome um those that that time that i'm setting aside for for myself um and you know well, all the other things around you know parking on the downslope and building that Tycho association in my head with the music mm -hmm. and stuff that i've talked about before hypothetically too though like the when you set out to do these these four you know each month being a focused thing there's there is and it sounds like there's space in your day for all four to happen closer to their peak, you know, so this yeah. could become the new writing norm. And you have, you know, yeah. talked about before where you found a space to meditate and maybe that's yeah. not, you know, set in stone yet, but hypothetically, because you said, you know, you feel the best when you do all four. So there yeah. is, you know, the dream is that you find a routine for all four things. Yeah. And I kind of slide them in your I day. I do, I think. So, and you know, they could change in amount. So I could like mm -hmm. go shorter on writing and longer on meditation, but if I'd continue with this, it's writing 6.15 to 7.30, meditations at 7.30, workout is at 5 p.m., and then reading is in the evening after dinner. Mm -hmm. So um, I just did a little quick back of the napkin math, too. I, I know I'm like I am my worst self-critic, but I wrote 17,700 words in April. That multiplied by 12 is like 204,000 words, which is like longer, I think, than most like regular like business books. So mm -hmm. it, it was I, I on a couple occasions I had the realization that like it wouldn't be out of this world to write enough to be book length. So granted, the 17,000 words that I wrote were not all on the same topic. They were. But you said you have about 10,000, you think, or so yeah. of the project. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So even that, you know, if I did 10,000 yeah. words a month on just the project, 
Um, you know, that's 120,000 words across a month or across a year. And I am thankful that I am a fast writer. Like mm-hmm. basically uh, on my, I think the most I wrote in April in one day was like 3000 words or so, mm-hmm. something like that. And I probably averaged more like 2000 on the days that I actually, actually wrote. Um, so like I can definitely crank it out when I'm, when I'm feeling it. But yeah. I don't know. Overall, I think it was a good month, not because it was perfect, but because I did see myself stick to a decent routine. I did write a decent number of words. I did publish some stuff. So I, it was much better than, than February. That's good. It's yeah. progress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So next up is, is your read. Month of read, yeah, which is the one that I delayed in order to do another month of write. Um, month of read is interesting because I already read a lot. And yeah. it's of my four kind of anchor habits. It's the one that is the easiest for me to do. And I had this inclination to potentially overcomplicate things a little bit by making like, what is the actual thing that I'm going to do in May? Is it just read a lot or should I read a specific type of thing? Or, you know, I thought about maybe I should read something that I normally wouldn't read, like a different yeah. genre, like fiction or poetry or something. Or should I just read something that's really hard to really push myself to become a better reader. And I decided since this is the first time that I'm going to be doing month of read and I'll have two more uh, cracks at it before the end of the year to just do what I did with the other ones, the other focus months for the first one, which is just try to do it a lot and keep track of it. So I'm just going to read as much as I can and I'm going to log the amount of time that I spend reading in in May. I already log completed books in Goodreads, but this time I'm going to also log just sheer amount of time um, that I read. And we'll just see what I what I learned from that. I think of all the possibilities for that too, it's probably the most exciting for you to have a month where you're just like, do the thing you always do, do lots and of, keep it, track of um, it, and keep track of it, which is another yeah. thing. Which we didn't talk about when you said, "What do you collect?" I think realistically, Sam, we should have said is you collect data and you collect a lot of it. We <laughs> yeah. didn't talk about that. It's less exciting to say that, but I think yeah, you do quite a bit of that. That is true. That is true. So any books you're super excited to read? Uh, I want to talk to you more about this at some point. This is a bigger topic, though. So do mm-hmm. you, you know Michael Pollan? Yep, I've read quite a bit. So I didn't realize he wrote this book like in the late 90s about this uh, writing shack that he built for himself on his hmm. property in New England. And he so this book is called A Place of My Own, and it's about him uh, designing and constructing this writing shack, then he had no construction experience beforehand. And yeah. man, it is waking something up inside of me. You want to build, huh? I want to, I want to build, I want a writing shack. I want my own private little workspace. I want to build it myself. Uh, we may, we may have to talk about this more, but that's what I'm, I'm currently, uh, currently reading along with a philosophical treatise on personal knowledge by Michael Polanyi, which I feel like I understand <laughs> like a quarter of. I'll I'm just throw out that some other names sound. Yeah. So wait, wait, what's the second author's name? Michael Polanyi. Polanyi. The, oh yeah. They're like the same. Holy crap. Pol- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. I thought that might be his alter ego. You might just be reading his philosopher <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. books. Um, exactly. I love, I love Michael Polan. Um, you should check I'm, out a place of my own. I will. I'll definitely look into it. I've read. I'm just trying to see what I've read by him. I've read The Omnivore's Dilemma. He's written a lot about food. Yeah, for exactly. We don't know um, anything about him, um, but he's just super. He really dives fully into whatever he's writing about, yep. which is exciting. So 
you know, he wrote one called In Defense of Food. He yeah, wrote that's, Botany. Yeah, that was the first one I think I read of his. I liked it a lot. The Botany of Desire, which was really interesting, where each yep. chapter was just focused on one food, kind mm-hmm. of like a whole section on potatoes, whole section on corn, um, apples, all about like Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, his writing is just is is very good. So I yeah, I see it right there, a place of my own. Uh, it's, it's on the list. Cool. Um, that's cool though. I mean, you know what? We can make that a reality. Maybe a little harder to do in your current apartment. But... Yeah, I mean, I was I was talking to Emily. Like, yeah, not really a thing uh, we can do when when being an apartment dweller. But you know, if we if we decide to buy a house someday, may, maybe that's a, a a thing that we be yeah we could do. You- I mean, you'd have to live nearby. You can build. You can build a, a writing uh, a shack on my farm, Sam. Okay, nice. Like, nice little peaceful, a little peaceful oasis. Yeah. Um, I was also gonna say you'll probably catch up to me then this month in the reading challenge on Goodreads. I was I was kicking your butt. I'm Are you five kicking months. my butt? Oh man, you're at 18, I think, for the year. Oh, gotcha. I had a really strong start to the whole winter. You know, it was my dead oh, yeah, time. So no. yeah, that whole that whole not really working thing. Yeah, it turns out you can read a lot when you don't work <laughs> and don't own a PS4 yet. So. Yeah, this actually me buying you, you know, me and mom buying you that PS4 sabotage. was really it was sabotage for the for the book uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. That's fine. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, you might well, be. we're pretty far into this episode. Yeah, we're not we going to do a topic. Use this topic for next time because I All think right. it's something. Do you have that thoughts about it? I do, and I want to think about it more. Maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit with people at the farm. It's always fun to run these topic ideas by fellow right. farmers. Tease, um, tease, tease the topic. The topic we're going to talk about, which is all the rage right now because we're in quarantine times, mm-hmm. is uh, how does coronavirus potentially help small farms? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already thought about this quite a bit. Farmers are having to think about this anyways um, because a lot of avenues for where you sell your food is, is, you know, hence me being laid off from my original farm restaurants, you know, restaurants are, are doing half the sales they normally do. Um, there's, you know, weird restrictions on grocery stores and different outlets, but yep. at the same time, the demand for food doesn't go away. Um, right. we all still hungry. We all still hungry. And we are quickly finding that people, um, from what I've just seen around, would much rather go to a farm store, a farm place or some other type of avenue to, pick up food um maybe something they would never normally consider so yeah i don't want to um, go to a grocery store with a bunch of long pigs come on much uh let me a disease carrying long pigs yeah let me let me go to some sort of farm farmer guy and give me some fresh foods mm-hmm. so we'll talk more about that a little bit i don't All know right, if it's cool be, if it won't maybe be a whole episode or anything um we always you know manage to to we always find time the to, first 30 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> you know we got to do our shucking and jiving uh yeah so but we'll get something serious. We'll get into a real topic here one of these days. Where it's, it's tough when we always have to catch up because we're, you know, <laughs> recording once every three Well, weeks. maybe, you know, maybe if you stopped spending your weekends raising barns or driving across the country for furniture, we could uh, record more consistently. Well, no plans for next weekend unless I see a sweet deal on a couch. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, dude. I'll talk to you later. Same, man.